Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to this Series 3, Episode 17 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello, I hope that you are having a good week. First off, I would like to thank all of you that got in touch after last week's episode with the fabulous Lauren. I loved that conversation so much. It seemed that it really, uh, it was really enjoyed across the board by so many of you. I got so many Instagram comments and people were tweeting about it and yeah, what an incredible person and what a joy it was to talk to her. Before we get into the podcast this week, I just thought I'd let you know that uh, if you want to come and see me do stand-up, which is my actual job, I mean, is podcasting my other job? I don't know. Can podcasting be a job when I'm just here in my cupboard talking to you all? I guess in a way it is, but I'm about to do my old job again, which I'm very, very excited about. I can't wait to get back out uh, touring, doing the full show and being... um, going across the country. Um, I've got some dates left from my last tour. So this is um, this is what's left. I've been to loads of places all across the UK already with this show. Um, and I'll be going back out on tour in maybe 18 months with a new show and I'll visit lots of different places. But if you're interested in coming to the shows that are left, I've got a run at the Soho Theatre at the end of July. There's some tickets left for that, but uh, not loads. So if you're interested in coming, please book those as soon as possible. And then where else am I going on tour? Uh, I'm going to Cambridge Junction. I'm going to Brighton Comedia. I'm going to Blackburn, Darwin Library Theatre. I'm going to Colville, the Century Theatre. I'm going to Crawley, the Hawth Theatre. I'm going to Blackheath, Blackheath Halls. I'm going to the Milton Keynes Stables. I'm going to Lyme Regis Marine Theatre. I'm going to Great Torrington, the Plough, Ivy Bridge Watermark, Reading South Street. I'm doing that twice. Portsmouth New Theatre Royal. This is my hometown gig. If you're uh, if you're from near where I grew up, I think that's going to be uh, quite an exciting one. I'm a little bit scared. It's the biggest tour day I've ever done, but I think we've already sold out the stalls and the dress circle, or we're getting close to it. So it looks like I might even sell out in my hometown in the biggest theatre I've ever done, which feels very, very exciting. Um, so if you want to come to that, please do. Then I'm doing Banbury, the Mill Art Centre, Colchester Art Centre, and finally East Grinstead Checkermead Theatre. Uh, if you would like to come along and see me, I would absolutely love that. Um, I'm hoping that uh, I'm going to have a an audience that includes the out audience because I've not been on tour uh, since I started this podcast. So it would be amazing to see some of you there. 
Uh, and thanks again to those of you that got in touch this week. Some people did some comments on the iTunes app and did some liking of the podcast, which is really great. So thank you so, so much for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I've got another brilliant episode this week with actress Michelle Hardwick. But before we get on to that, I will do some listener emails. Hi, Susie. I've recently got into listening to podcasts and discovered yours through Sean Fay's episode, as I loved her series and I'm currently now binging out. For years, I've never really engaged with anything queer. If anything, I took pride in being a straight acting bi guy. When I was 16, I was maliciously outed the day after Christmas break. So I think I had to make sure I fitted in and never explored any queer culture. Fast forward to Pride 2019. I had made no plans, but decided to head into Pride and frantically messaged anyone that I knew that might be there to no avail. I saw on Twitter that Bi Pride was meeting at the end of the parade in Victoria Gardens. So I decided to see who was there and made friends with two great girls who I'm now friends with. They became my first queer friends. People I'm friends with purely because of our sexuality. I'm so glad I met them and it's really nice to have friends where the foundation of our friendship is our sexuality. It's freeing. I send them bi TikToks all the time. It's great. Over the past year, I've been trying to immerse myself in queer stuff. And as part of that, I've been listening to your podcast. It's helped me in so many ways. One of the things that gets mentioned often is section 28. And whilst I had an idea of what that was, I never really knew the implications the legislation had. I was 10 when section 28 was repealed. And obviously education around LGBTQIA issues didn't change overnight. I've always struggled to entertain the idea of a relationship with a man. And after listening to some of your guests' experiences with Section 28, I think the lack of LGBTQIA education has really contributed to that. Okay, I think I've rambled on enough now. You haven't at all. I did want to write a letter that could be read out on an episode, but I fear I've rambled on. You really haven't. So to conclude, I don't think I've conveyed this very well, but your podcast has really helped me connect with the community and to learn more about the different experiences of growing up LGBTQIA+. So thank you. Uh, he then offers some guest suggestions, which um, I have asked a couple of them already, um, and I'm still waiting to hear back. Um, but thank you for that and I'll have a go at the other ones that you suggest and you wish me a happy Pride Month. I wish you a happy Pride Month too. Thank you so much, Josh, for getting in touch with me and I'm so pleased the podcast has helped you feel more connected to our community. I'm really delighted about that. Okay, let's have another email. Hi Susie, just to say thank you so much for your interview with Yasmin Benoit. I'm part of the asexual, aromantic community and have been following Yasmin on social media for years. I'm a big fan of her work, so I was so happy that she was being included by more larger LGBTQIA things, such as your podcast. It meant a huge amount to me to hear someone queer that I respect, you, being so accepting and respectful of an asexual person. Of course, of course I would be, as we all should be. I've also been a fan of your podcast for a while and it's made me laugh and cry several times over lockdown and I've learned so much from your guest, which I am incredibly grateful for. I'm not out to many people in real life. I'm very shy and I don't like to stand out and I took a very long time to accept I was different from my peers. When I was an early teenager, I was very confused by all my friends who suddenly had crushes on boys. It didn't make any sense to me and I assumed they were inventing these crushes to try and fit in with the cool kids who were all getting into relationships. It was confusing at the time, but in hindsight, I look back and laugh at how bewildering I found the world. Not long after, I assumed that maybe I was a late bloomer because everyone fancies someone, right? 
Then around 14, I started coming to the conclusion that maybe I wasn't straight. This realization really scared me because I didn't want to be different or weird. I just wanted to get by. First I thought maybe I was a lesbian because that's what I am if I'm not straight, I must be gay. I thought there were only really two options for the first part of my life. But I realized I didn't really have a preference. I suppose some people are kind of okay looking, so I guess bisexual fits better than gay or straight. I also had a bit of a sense of relief because my teenage self thought, at least if I'm bi, I can just pretend to be straight and I can go on seeming like I fit in. I didn't tell anyone that I was questioning my sexuality and I tried to train my brain to find guys attractive so I could live in the world as a straight person. I remember going through the guys in my class trying to convince myself that I fancied them, like a mantra, as if telling myself that I like guys would suddenly make it true. I found the term asexual on one of the many am I gay online tests and immediately hated it and how much I related. Again, I didn't want to be different and reading the term asexual was like a confirmation that I might not be a late bloomer and I was back to trying to convince myself that I do in fact fancy people out of fear that the test might have been right. This time I managed to convince myself that I was a lesbian and that I had just repressed all of my attraction to women and that was why I'd never managed to convince myself that guys were attractive. I was fairly lucky that the people around me, whilst not super knowledgeable, would probably be okay with me being gay, so I aimed for that. Now I don't ever want to diminish the very real struggle that lesbians face, but my teenage brain was thankfully very sheltered from the worst side of homophobia and certainly didn't understand how difficult it can be to exist as a gay person in the world. My main thought at this stage in my life, about 17, was that it was nice to have a clear label, that if I told someone, they would understand. I think the main reason I resisted the term asexual for so long was because I knew I'd have to explain it to people, and the idea of having to prove my own experiences to others would have been really invalidating. I went to uni and was incredibly lucky to fall in with a wonderful diverse group of friends with a whole rainbow of orientations and gender identities, including a couple of people who were also asexual. Meeting these people was honestly incredible. Seeing other asexuals in real life was like proof that we weren't attention-seeking children on the internet who just wanted to be special, which was my initial impression, and have really helped me to accept who I am. I'm still not out to my family and many of my friends out of fear they won't understand or that they'll treat me differently. I've come out to people whilst at uni who I thought would be very understanding as they're queer themselves, but I got the reaction, I'd never guess you're asexual because you're nice and I thought asexual people couldn't care about other people. And the good old, yeah, but maybe you just haven't found the right person yet. Not super bad, I know, but still not the ideal response from someone coming out. So I thought if a queer person who I thought was fairly well informed would react with such ignorance, how can I expect my very heterosexual family to understand my asexuality? That reaction and the amount of discourse online also makes me quite nervous entering queer spaces because I tend to feel like asexuality acceptance is an optional extra for many people. I worry that I'm not queer enough to be there. I worry that I'm not queer enough to be there because I haven't faced the same discrimination as the rest of the community, maybe apart from my own brain. I'm sorry this email is so long, but it was very cathartic to write and thank you for allowing emails. And just to let you know that I'm doing pretty well and I've mostly accepted who I am. I only have the odd day where I wish I was normal, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't change my asexuality for anything. 
I'm so grateful for all the asexual guests who have written in and to you and Yasmin for that episode. It would mean so much to me to hear more from other asexual guests in the future. Lots of love and have a wonderful week. And this person has asked to stay anonymous. Um, thank you so much. Of course, um, asexual people will continue to be uh, invited onto the podcast. Um, I have reached out to, to a number of asexual people and asexual organisations, but unfortunately, currently, I'm uh, I, I've, I've only I've only sort of got a response from Yasmin. But I will continue trying. I promise. It's not for want of trying. And you know, some people don't like doing this sort of interview, and I understand that. But um, I will continue to reach out as. Um, as I said before, I want this podcast to carry on being as diverse and interesting and every part of the queer community as possible. Uh, so thank you so much for writing in. And I'm pleased to hear that you're doing pretty well. Okay, let's get on to today's interview with the brilliant actress, Michelle Hardwick. I really enjoyed this one and I hope you do too. Michelle Hardwick is a British actress best known for her work in The Royal and Emmerdale, one of the UK's best love soaps, getting millions of viewers weekly. She's also appeared in Hollyoaks, Heartbeat and Coronation Street. After coming out publicly in 2013, she has never been afraid to show who she is to the world. A talented actress, often a firm favourite amongst viewers. She was especially funny as Lizzie in The Royal and has been in much love character in Emmerdale for nearly a decade. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. I'm so delighted to chat to you. We've already talked about the fact that you've got some excellent wardrobes behind you. Um, I love doing these on Zoom because you really get to have a nose around one room of someone else's house. It, yeah, I, I didn't even realise really because um, I've not really done any work Zoom since obviously I've just been at, at home yeah. um, and uh, I can't really do my work from Zoom. Although I say that, I did do a couple of scenes actually last before I gave birth, it was about last August, September, um, but I went up into um, our bedroom, this is the guest bedroom. So what, you just filmed them on Zoom, like doing an awful self-tape? Yeah, honestly. So I had like the iPad, um, it was balancing on, so I got some step ladders, so it was at the right height, making sure I had some sort of lighting. I, had about, I did about three or four scenes, so it was a couple of episodes, but I was heavily pregnant at the time. So I had to make sure it was literally just like under my chin, otherwise I just, it looked ridiculous. And my character was um, a, a mum's, yeah. So she was just like calling in? Yeah. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Nice to stay involved. Nice to keep your hand in. You know what I mean? You like, you know, need, need to keep Vanessa there talking about. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You need to make sure that returns as smooth as possible. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We were just saying before we started recording that you're, um, that you've had a, a baby in lockdown, which must have been a strange experience. Yeah, really, because I mean, obviously, we started uh, our IVF journey before uh, the pandemic struck you, so we had no idea. Um, and then I was, I remember I came home from, I knew I was pregnant, but we'd not announced it because it was still early days. And I came home from work, it was March, and um, my wife Kate just said, Have you seen the news? Have you seen Boris's announcement? And I was like, Oh gosh, no, what? And she said, mm -mm. She went, You won't be going back to work. I was like, whatever. And she said, well, initially it was for 12 weeks. I was like, but I've got a few scenes tomorrow that are quite important. And she's like, uh -uh, no, we're going to have to sort of rewrite, you know, uh, stories or whatever. And it was like, oh, my goodness. And I've not been back since because then I just wasn't allowed back in the building because I was pregnant. So, yeah, then having a baby uh, on the 9th of October, it's been um, it's been weirdly wonderful 
in, in a very strange way because it's just been our little lockdown teddy bubble because we're calling Teddy uh, and it, it has just been beautiful. The downside obviously is my brother, um, uh, Kate's brothers, they've not been able to properly meet him and hold him and oh that's sad because you know it's, it's, it's five months now. Yeah that's hard. It's really hard, it is really hard. But, you know, we are just trying to look at the positives and stay positive and say, but look at that beautiful time that we had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's your only choice, isn't it? If you don't laugh, you yeah. cry. That's, <laughs> that's what's going on. You're based up north. Are you based in Yorkshire? Yes, Leeds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you grew up? That's right. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, my wife always laughs because she says you've never really moved far. But I said, well, how good my jobs? I've travelled all over. You yeah. know, when I was actually doing theatre, I've worked in America, Brazil. Poland, oh, Germany, cool. everywhere. Yeah, doing Shakespeare. I'll have you know. Brilliant. Um, so, what sort of stuff was that? Well, like when was that? Gosh, that was back in 1996. I'm really showing my age now. So, <laughs> yeah, so you were 12. Wow, you were doing Shakespeare at 12. Yeah. Yeah, I was. <laughs> so I can go further back than that. My first professional job was 1993 down at the Royal Court in London. So I was 17 years old. Oh, wow. Living life in London. My mum and dad were having, oh, they were having a fit. Yeah. I bet. I bet. So did you, did you grow up always acting then? Yeah, done drama clubs, done um, the local uh, like church hall pantomimes every year, which I absolutely loved. And I just loved being on stage and I suppose showing off in a way, you know, it's weird. Because I was quite shy when I was really little. Well, I say that was probably eight when I found myself really, you know. Um, <laughs> and then I, I joined a Shakespeare group, Northern Broadsides in 96. And that's when I played Juliet in Romeo and Juliet for two years. And we did Germany. Um, Brazil was Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and then we did Broadway. We went to Connecticut in New York. It was just, it was amazing. Really, really fantastic. Do you still know Galloper Pace? Do you still know the monologue? No, but I remember, no, I, honestly, because, and you know why I don't now? Because of Emmerdale, because you, you retrain your brain how to learn lines and get rid of them. When you're doing the theatre, you've just got to keep, um, you've got to retain the whole play. Yeah. Whereas when you're doing Emmerdale, you've got nine scenes to learn maybe for the next day. And then you do them, you come home, you've got to get rid of all them in your brain and learn another nine. So any other words that I've ever had in my life, they've just all gone to make room for Emmerdale. Yeah, I've got friends that have done soaps and they say like the people that are on the soap every week, you know, the characters are always on it. He was saying to me like he's never seen like people learning lines so quickly. He was just like, there was one scene where like someone like messed up something and then they went back on it and then they just like looked at it once and was just like, yep, got it in one. Like you just get so good at... You do, you have to, because you've got no choice because it is so fast. And there are people that, like you say, have got those like photographic memories. I got it to a degree, but not as much. I think the older I'm getting, I'm like, and gosh knows what I'm going to be like when I go back with this screen <laughs> that has not been used at all. You're going to have to start like remembering like what's on the back of your conditioner bottle and stuff yeah, like that, just that to start screen. training your brain again. <laughs> I will honestly I will I'm not even joking is it quite thrilling being on a show like that where the turnaround is so fast yeah because people say to you you know oh what do you prefer do you prefer theatre do you prefer tv but they're both so different because mm. theatre you've got that instant you know the applause the and that buzz of the live uh, audience well you know we did and hopefully we will very soon again yeah. with tv 
you sort of wait till it comes on the television, whether you choose to watch that, you know, or not yourself. Do you ever watch yourself? Yeah, I do. I won't lie. I do. Because um, I know a lot of people go, oh, gosh, no, I can't bear it. But no, I do watch it. And I do watch it myself and I go, oh, my God, what? look at the state of that facial expression. Or look at the hair. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not watching going, oh, gosh, I was so good in that or whatever. I'm like, oh, no, what do I look like? You know, it's, <laughs> it's very... Quite, you know, self-critical there, but yeah, it is a buzz when it, like you say, it when it is so fast like that, and especially if you've got a big sort of an emotional maybe two-hander, yeah. and um, and then you start to watch it in one take, and they go, yeah, we got it, and you go, oh, thank goodness for that, because probably won't be able to cry again. Do you know what I mean? So, because I feel like being on a job like that, like I, I've seen that, I've read that you've sort of say that it's like a great sort of community in Emmerdale, but it must you must sort of like get to know everyone. Like, like I would absolutely love to do a soap because I feel like. It would be so much fun because you get to know everyone and it'd be like, oh, you're in a little gang and you like, is it really fun? Is it a good, is it a nice place to go to work? It is. It massively is. But because there's so many in the cast. Oh, yeah, sure. You don't tend to see a lot of people, just the ones that you're working with. Yeah. Unless it's big party or wedding scenes uh, or funerals, like in the wall pack or uh, yeah, maybe there's lots that's the only time you do get to see them is to go in the green room and be like, oh my goodness, I've not literally not seen you for like five or six months. Because unless, sometimes you might pass the corridor or if there's three units in, they might be on, someone might be on another unit in the makeup room and you'll be like, oh, hi, hi, how are you doing? I've not seen you forever. And um, yeah, it is, it is strange, but. This isn't a podcast about asking how soaps work, but I am using it as that and I hope that's okay. <laughs> I'm genuine. I'm really interested. Do you have, uh, like, could there be like a scene going on in the wall pack and then another one going on in another part of the village and one going on somewhere else and things being all being shot at the same time? Oh, absolutely. I'll yeah. give you now a little taster of maybe one day. And this would be like a dead busy day. So okay. it, it, there could be three units on at the same time. Maybe a typical morning, I would go into makeup at seven o'clock Mm -hmm. I need an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Get your costume on. Uh, on set at eight o'clock with one director in the wool pack, maybe for two scenes. Mm -hmm. Then the AD will come up, the assistant director, and be like, okay, you're needed in the village. Um, and you know this already, but they're just reminding you to sort of get a move on because they're yeah. waiting. So you're being, you needed in makeup uh, at the village because it could be a different hairstyle, different makeup, different costume will be waiting. So that'll be maybe in 45 minutes. So you just get straight in your car or a lift, whichever you prefer. Uh, I like to drive myself, quite independent that way. <laughs> uh, I just love getting in my car and just driving off. Um, get into the village. You've got another director. So how far is it between these two places? In the car, it takes about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. That's mad that it's so sprawling. Yeah. And if you hit it, if it's if it's at like school time, three o'clock, we've got quite a few little primary schools around the, the studios. <laughs> you're just stuck in traffic and you're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I might be a little bit late here. Uh, but then it doesn't finish there. You could finish your scene in, um, in the village outside the cafe, for example. And then you're needed on the third unit back at studio. Again, different hair and makeup with a third director in maybe your house, in your living room. And that could be one day and you've been to three different locations with three different directors, three different looks. That is full on. Yeah, and none of it's in like order. So you've- No, of course. You've got to know, your, you've got to do your homework. It's not just a matter of turning up, you know. Could you be doing like the aftermath of a massive row before you've had the row? 
without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. 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 They do. I tell you what, what Emdale are good at, they do tend to, if you've got, say, um, a couple of days of real, really emotional stuff, if mm -hmm. scheduling can and if, if it permits, they will do it in order just for your journey. Do you know what I mean? To totally. Go but it might be that there's another actor that we're waiting from a different unit, so we can't do that scene. So it is changed around. It's I don't know how the scheduling department does it. I don't know. It's unbelievable. It sounds fun. It is. It's fun. It's hard work. It's brilliant. And, yeah, of course. You know, you've got you you get close to people, and I've got quite a few you know best mates there, and it's lovely. Yeah. It's really lovely. So was acting always like the thing you wanted to do as like a teenager or younger, were you? Yeah, always, definitely as a teenager. The first thing I wanted to be was a hairdresser when I was about four years old. Then sort of, I realized people start talking about like people could get nits and things. So that was <laughs> straight out of the window for me. Um, and then like I joined the local sort of church group for doing a pantomime. And then I just, I loved it. I loved, I think the first time I was ever on stage, I went, I'm not a dancer now by any, stretch the imagination but I, I went to a dance class and I was on stage and I was four and I, I, I entered a competition and I sang I've got no strings by Pinocchio it was in Pinocchio I've got no strings I had a song <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't win because there was a little boy who sang all the nice girls love a sailor and he won it so I was like I think I came second or something <laughs> You got you got a good idea of what the industry's like from from oh, four. You were like, <laughs> hey, this is tough, bro. This is <laughs> yeah, tough old game. Yeah, uh, and so getting a part in the royal court at seventeen. That's like so you didn't go off to drama school or anything like that. You just got cast. Yeah, I like honestly, I was gonna go to drama school and everything. I put my applications in. I had auditions, but I just kept working. Which I mean, it's it, that for me. That was just my drama school. Do you know what For I mean? For sure, and, yeah. It, it, it work experience, essentially. So what happened was, after school, I went to uh, Park Lane College in Leeds and did I resat some GCSEs that I uh, didn't pass at school. And because uh, I just, I liked talking quite a lot at school. Sure, sure. Look, look, I, you know, I, I yeah. had similar things. <laughs> I was easily distracted. Um, and I met a girl uh, who was like a mate and she just said, oh, if you love acting, she said, oh, there's a great place near us. Uh, and she said, I attend, it's called Scala Kids. Now this Scala Kids was like a performing arts uh, group. And I went along and lovely Lynn Walker, who uh, runs it still now, she took me on and sent me off for all these auditions. So she was like my child agent in a way, even though I was like 16, 17. And yeah, I went for, initially it was at the West Yorkshire Playhouse, there was about 200 girls and we played games and things and improvisation. And then it, my mum was like going, oh, you're not, you're not going to get it. So it's fine. You can go for these auditions. Because all she could think of was me living in London for three months at 17. Yeah. Chance. But then I kept getting recalled and recalled and my mum was going, what's happening here? And she's like, are you actually good? Because my mum was like, never pushy parents. They would just let me get on with it. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And then, yeah, I got the, I had to go for the final recall down to the Royal Court. And then I got the phone call saying you'd been cast. What was the play? It was called Land of the Living. And there was only four of us in it. So there was Sue Devaney, who's now in mm -hmm. Corrie. Yeah. Uh, played Debbie Webster. And Lorraine Ashbourne, who's married to Andy Circus. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, and then there was another girl who was my age and I was playing the younger version of Sue Devaney. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it was the Royal Court. It was a theatre upstairs and it was, yeah, four-hander. 
uh, and it was it was incredible and yeah I put on about a stone in weight when I came back so I was just eating takeaways and things <laughs> and what was it like was it exciting to be in London yeah it was fabulous and they'd give it they've got um myself and the other girl who was play it was the same age as me uh they've got us like a little flat that we in, in where was it Westbourne Park Villas yeah Westbourne Park yeah yeah and my mum and dad uh dropped dropped me off and my mum was just horrified like leaving me and because we didn't have mobile phones in 93 we didn't have them you know um and I had the time of my life it was it was wonderful and I remember um me and Sarah that was the the actress who uh, I stayed with lived I lived with and we used to stay in bed all day and we'd watch Home and Away and then after Home and Away that was when we knew we had to get up showered and we'd make it in time for the tube to get to the theatre for the show and then we'd just live all night Uh, (laughs) it was it was yeah I bet that was so much fun and then after that did you keep working so yeah, so after that then, I actually went to Park, back to Parkland College and did the BTEC Performing Arts course. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was two years. And that's when I moved on to an adult agent then. So, because obviously I, I couldn't go for the roles of the kids anymore and yeah. stuff. And that's when I got my first audition for Heartbeat as a guest artist, got that role. And then, it's a great story actually, I met Sally Ann Matthews, who plays Jenny Bradley in mm-hmm. Coronation Street, mm-hmm. she was in that episode of Heartbeat with me. Now, she went for uh, an interview with Northern Broadsides uh, for this part, and Barry Rutter, who uh, was a director, he just said, uh, oh, sorry, love, went, you, you just look too old for the part. So Sally Ann said... <laughs> Cutthroat industry. <laughs> no, honestly, honestly. Because um, I think he wanted, like, 1920, and she wasn't, you know, probably, like, 25, something ridiculous, like, not older at all. And yeah. But Sal, bless her, we'd just been on uh, on holiday to Anglesey to a mum's caravan. And she went, oh, well, again, before mobile phones. She went, well, if I'm not right, she went, what about me, mate? She's an actress, pulled out a picture of me. And he went, oh, go on then, I'll see her. So I got in touch with my agent. And then the rest is history. I got on with Northern Broadsides. That's brilliant. But then when we did uh, Romeo and Juliet, I said to Barry Rutter, I went, get my mate Sal in for one of these parts and so like she did and we went on tour together it was great so oh that's so much fun yeah it was it was brilliant it's so sad that like theatre's not happening at the moment but for a while it feels like touring theatre has been sort of you know you sort of go to places where the theatres aren't running anymore and it feels so sad that like we seem to be losing that part. Maybe after COVID, people will go, do you know what? I really want to support my local theatre. I'm going to go and watch stuff. I really hope that people really get behind. Because like as a stand-up, we often go and play theatres like on Sunday nights when they're dark. So uh-huh. quite often I've done a tour show in front of someone else's set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which actually you can usually get a few gags out of. Yeah, of course. I remember Jen Claire did that in Liverpool when we were doing, I think it was at the Everyman. Yeah, we were doing a show and uh, we went to see her and we we had all our set behind her. We are going, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've done it in front of, I think I did it in front of the Wicked Witch's Castle for a pantomime once and was just like, brilliant. I was like, can I use the stairs to come in? They were like, yeah, if you want. I was like, brilliant, okay. <laughs> That's my entrance, so yeah. I never get an entrance. You just walk on as a stand up. That's great. Um, but yeah, I really hope that after all this, people go, oh, do you know what? I really want to support local theatres. And yeah, I think the world, I've got a really good I feeling. Hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And I think hopefully people will be really. Once everyone's safe and once everyone feels all right, they'll be really excited to go out and experience stuff. Just even like 
we have this little thing on a Friday night downstairs and we have a Friday night kitchen disco and just listening to music and play and it's just dancing around. It's just, yeah. oh, it's gorgeous. It's, it yeah. would put the lights on and we're like, cannot wait to be out in a theatre with live music and oh yeah, gosh. it'd be great. Yeah, can you yeah. imagine, uh, we were listening to the radio the other day and, and a song came on from Come From Away, which is a musical in town. It's brilliant. It's a really great show. And they were playing a song from that on I think like Elaine Page's show on a Sunday. Mm. And um, I said to Alice, my partner, I said, can you imagine like being in a theatre and hearing the instruments, you know, when they warm up, like, which you're walking in. I was like, that feels so exciting to be able to like just, and then the lights go down and the overture starts. And, and everyone like, goes quiet, yeah. It's so yeah. exciting. Oh, amazing. It's so exciting. So when you were at, um, when you were sort of doing the, the, maybe let's go back to like school. When you were at school, did you realise that you maybe weren't straight or were you aware that you, did you, did you know that then? I had no idea at school. I genuinely didn't and I didn't. And I had boyfriends through school. Mm-hmm. you know that I'm still mates with now um you know talking about 11 and 12 years old you know when you have yeah. boyfriends and and so I had no idea but then it is funny because when I look back now at that time and I go okay well I was about 12 years old when I first watched Grease 2 and went okay <laughs> yeah I'm liking what I see here with uh, <laughs> Stephanie Zanoni and that's when I discovered Michelle Pfeiffer and sort of was like oh just everything about her was amazing uh, equally, I had posters on my wall of Kylie and Jason, but looking back, it was Kylie that I'd probably be more drawn to. But then you sort of think, at the time, I was probably thinking, well, maybe it's because, I, do I want to be like them? Or, mm-hmm. you, do you know what I mean? It's all very yeah. confusing, but I think looking back now that the signs were there, yeah. I probably weren't open to them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So no, I had no idea. Even when I was in London at 17, Still not, I didn't know. And that was 93. That was about the time when it was on Brookside, wasn't it? With um, Yes. Yeah. And a thrill, yeah. Yeah. And then it was when I then went to college. I met someone at college and I was like, oh, okay, this feels a bit different. These feelings I've got towards this person and I wanted to be in their company all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, had my first two-year relationship with a woman when I was uh, 18 yeah oh so you were quite sort of young still you know being a teenager yeah yeah oh yeah I was yeah uh yeah two two years um and then but then I didn't not come out to anybody you know it was all really it was so was it a secret massive secret oh yeah massive secret um oh gosh yeah after that ended it was like I was going on tour then so that was about 96 when that ended and that's when I threw myself into touring life and didn't really have to answer because every time it was like you know any family members maybe at parties would be like any boyfriends on the scene it was just so easy to say oh I'm too busy because I'm working I don't Mm -hmm. get a chance to meet people do you know what I mean yeah definitely there was a lot of that going on and then when I did have boyfriends I just I I tried to sort of make myself feel like what I'd felt when I was at college, but mm-hmm. it was never happening. So relationships literally lasted two months because I'd I'd get out of it before it got in too deep, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, totally. So yeah, it was really, really hard. And I didn't have another relationship with a, with a woman like till sort of late 20s. And were you away working all that time? Yeah. Was that like, because it's funny that you say that because we've had like other people that I've interviewed on the show and that's come up quite a few times that like 
just throwing yourself into work and being like, well, I haven't got time for anything. It was just easy to say it like that. And mm-hmm. I was on tour every year because I sort of stuck with this theatre company. So every year they'd do maybe two uh, shows, productions that would take us all over, if not over the world, over Europe, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and certainly in the UK. So I was, that's why I didn't sort of get on the property ladder because I didn't need to. My base was just my mum and dad's house still. Uh, yeah. And then I'd pop back at weekends whenever I could. But it was just like, right, quick washing of the clothes, no questions asked, and then I'm off again. And it's yeah. and then I'd be buzzing talking about the show, about all my friends that I'd met and and so yeah, it was never it was never really spoken about. It, I, I was in my head it, it was like a huge relief that you know it wasn't because I just didn't want to answer any questions. Um mm. then when I was on the Royal, I sort of got a bit more confident about, I was beginning to realise who I was. And I started opening up to people at work. So a lot of my colleagues mm. knew, but I'd still not told my family. But that used to used to really, I used to struggle with that because I'd be mm. like, hang on, all these people know. But yet the people who mean the most to me, they don't know. Mm. There's more to lose from a bad reaction, isn't there? Without a shadow of a doubt. So it's scarier. Yeah, and I I was 29 years old when it, when it all happened and I didn't even voluntarily come out. I'd never forget, I'd been on, it was the 4th of November and I'd been on a photo shoot with some of the girls from the Royal and I came back home and I was feeling it. I was all, all this lovely makeup. And- well, it was a big show, the Royal, wasn't it? It really was, yes. Yeah, spin off from Heartbeat. We had Wendy Craig as the matron. Mm-hmm. Um, I played like, yeah, Dizzy Lizzie, the receptionist. You can you can really deliver a funny line, mate. Oh, I just because she was so dizzy, yet yeah, with that absolute heart of gold, and there was never any malice in her. But because the lines were so ridiculous, you had to play it so truthfully, otherwise it wouldn't have worked. Yeah, of course. You know that more than anyone, do you know what I mean? And it's like, oh gosh, she was an absolute delight. Because I didn't even audition for her at first. I auditioned for a nurse and then they brought me back when I think you'd be better off as the Disney one. I was like, what does that say about me? <laughs> oh God, did I get the medical stuff wrong? Like... You know what? <laughs> I couldn't stay stay stethoscope properly, maybe I don't. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying you were on a you were on a photo shoot. So, yeah, so yeah, I was on a photo shoot, and uh, I came back home. I, I was still living with my mom, with my mum and dad, and uh, I got home feeling all dead lovely. And my dad was at home, and uh, he's like, "You're right." I said, "Oh yes, thanks for you." Da-da-da, you know, small talk, and then he just went, "I've got something to ask you anyway," and I don't know how. Oh, I knew in that instance that my dad was going to ask me if I was gay. I knew it. I knew, and. In my head was spinning. I was thinking, "What do I lie? Do I do I do I do I just come out with it? Do I what do I do?" And I knew, and it my blood ran cold. And I just went, "Oh, why? What? What's what's the matter?" And he said, um, "Oh, someone I work with. It was this is a massive coincidence. I don't know how or what. I've never really asked questions, but he said somebody I work with um, makes deliveries at ITV, and he just said to me, "Oh, your daughter works at ITV, don't she?" And my dad said, "Oh, yeah." Uh, yeah, she does on the Royal. And uh, his mate said, oh yeah, the lesbian. And my dad went, not as far as I know, mate. And I just looked at my dad and I burst into tears and just was just saying, oh, I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry, I am, I can't help it, I am. And he just held me and just held me. And I was just crying on him, just saying, I just remember saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I can't help it. It was the words, I can't help it, that I just kept saying. Mm. And he just said, 
it's all right. He said, stop. He said, it's all right. And he said, and then, you know, after, we'd, after I'd calmed down, he just said, the thing that hurts me the most is you couldn't tell us that you didn't think you mm. could tell us. And I was like, I just, but I didn't want to, you know, you and my mum are the most important people in my life, uh, you know, and I just said, I didn't want to disappoint you or I didn't mm. want you feeling, you know, let down or I didn't, I didn't know how you'd react. And they were like, disappoint us. Are you, are you kidding? You know, and it was, he said, I'll tell your mum. And uh, he said, I'll, I'll, I don't me to sort everything. And he did. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, he, my dad, you know, this wonderful burly Yorkshire bloke who was an ex-boxer. And he was just took me in his arms and I was his little girl again. And everything was fantastic. And yeah. The weight, the relief after that must have been huge. It was unreal. And then he was going, so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. I was like, yep, 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 yep. She, she was a girlfriend, you know? And it was like, oh, they weren't just mates. I was like, no, because they didn't, they said they had no idea because I'd not given them any cause to mm. think. But then wonderfully, my grandma, who was, um, I mean, she's passed now. Um, she was my best friend in the whole world. And we lost her three years ago and she was 93. And she went, well, she went, I knew. I didn't, I didn't want to say anything until you told me, but I knew. I was like, Grandma, and she didn't have a problem. My other grandma who's still with us, absolutely no problem whatsoever. And I think, you know, sometimes just don't give them credit, you know, you know, credit, the old generation. Oh. And I know I'm lucky and not everyone's the same. Totally, yeah. I had such a similar experience with my nan. I was really close to my nan and she died about four years ago. I was so frightened of telling her. And in the end, my auntie told her, <laughs> because she's like that. She was like, I'll sort it out. I'll just tell her. And Nan was like, I don't. She was like, all right, love. I don't care. I still love you as much as I did yesterday. And it was like, the, and, and she was the one that I had. I've got a picture right of her right in front of me now. Um, she was the one that I was so scared that I would be this disappointment or that she wouldn't be able to tell her friends about me or whatever. Like, no, she was, I think sometimes, not all, obviously. And I think, as you say, we're both quite lucky that we had experiences like that with our Nans. But you know, I think often when you've been through, like she'd lived through a war. I think she was like, yeah, I can deal with this. Like She was she was in, in the Blitz in Portsmouth with all the bombs. Like I think she was like, yeah, I can, I can deal with having a, a gay granddaughter. I think we'll be all right. Thank God for our lovely grandmas. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. they did, they, they, they made it all fine. Yeah. They made everything fine. And it was, yeah, a huge, a huge relief. Because that like the next day after that must have just been like, like having to, hold that secret and it feeling like a not that not that being gay is a burden but it feeling like a burden for so long like you know the next morning when you woke up you must have felt like a new person oh absolutely and we had it was my cousin's 18th and we had a massive big part, family party and i just remember thinking okay i wonder i wonder who knows because my dad said he would tell people I was like god it's handy having someone like your dad about just deal with it just deal with it dad I'm Michelle's gay anyway, so <laughs> but, um, it, it was great because I was with all my family and yeah, nobody batted an eyelid and uh, you know, look where I am now, married with a beautiful son and it's just, yeah, it's fabulous and I just think, yeah. gosh, I was 29 and if my dad hadn't have said that, God knows when I'd have done it because that wasn't, mm. it wasn't me going, right, I'm going to do it today, I'm going to, you know, have the courage to do it. It wasn't any, yeah. it out of my hands really and I was 29. Yeah. I just felt like I couldn't. 
No, and I think loads of people like, you know, that listen to the show will totally align with that and, and might be in a similar situation to what you were in then, you yeah. know, and really understand that. And I think that's the thing. I think like it's got to be the right moment for you. You can't force yourself. You can't do it. You know, you can't force yourself out of the closet because, you know, you might leave yourself feeling much worse. Exactly. You've got to be ready. You And, mm. and that's what I think, because I, I don't know how, but I knew that question was coming. And in that split second, I, I just made that decision. It was like, yeah, I'm just going to, this is it. It's now or never, you know, um, I just collapsed into a heap and got scooped up in his wonderful big arms. And it was all wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And then I read that you, you didn't feel like you needed to sort of come out publicly um, until you were in Emmerdale, is that right? That's right, because I was still in the Royal then um, mm. at that time. And how long did the Royal run? Gosh, was it eight or nine? Eight or nine? Eight series, I think. We did it from two thousand two to two thousand and eight, but we got a couple of series in the first one. Right. Okay. So yeah, we did about eight. I think it was about eight series altogether. Fun. Yeah. Oh god, it was just amazing, you know, because you you spend you do. It was a disused hospital in um part of a disused hospital in Bradford for the interior, and then the exterior was in Scarborough. So you'd have one week of the month just on a jolly in Scarborough, <laughs> and it was brilliant. That sounds great. <laughs> that was fun. It really was. I bet. It was. Fun. I bet. Um, but yeah, and then I just thought to myself, do I? Need, I, I think I thought the audience really of the royal. Probably, I'm not probably not going to be lend myself by coming out now when the audience is, you know, probably like maybe over 50 or over 60. And I just didn't feel for me it was the right time. Um, and I knew the Royal wasn't going to last forever. And then you don't know what's around the corner. And luckily for me, Emmerdale was literally just around the corner. And that's when I thought, oh, this is the platform now when I'm going to be in people's uh, living rooms nearly every night. And this is it. Because people must feel like they know you. Oh, yeah, they do. Do you get that? Because you're like when you're in a soap, like you really feel like you know people. You must get that a lot. Yeah, you do. Uh, like just going to the shops. Not so much now when you've got your masks on. It's, yeah. it's not too bad. But uh, yeah, when uh, you do get people coming up to you and stuff. I remember um, I had a bloke coming up to me saying that he had a bad back. And I thought, I think he might think that I'm his doctor or something. Because I think sometimes they recognise you, but... They can't remember where from, and they think maybe you're a receptionist or a, you work in the library or whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I remember my grand. I used to take my grandma shopping a lot when she was here, and she used to like just laugh. And she was so proud. But people would be like, she would well, I only went out for some bananas, and our Michelle got, you know, she would ask all the time if she could have a photo taken, and <laughs> she loved it, you know. That's lovely, though. I remember yeah. I got, I was with my mum in in a top shop, and someone said, "Can I have a photo with you?" And my mum, like, immediately rang my auntie and went, you're not going to believe what's just happened. Ah, oh, Suze, she's only just been asked for a photo in bloody Topshop. She couldn't get over it. It made her day. And no, it does, because, you know, to them, and we are, we're just normal, and it's, uh, you know, little Suze, little Michelle, it's like, yeah, you know, people do think that they know you. But, uh, but yeah, for, for me, the platform then that Emmerdale um, has given me, it was like, and I spoke to our wonderful press team. Yeah, I was going to ask, did you have to yeah, do that? Yeah, and we said, let's do this in a really controlled environment. Mm-hmm. They chose someone who they trusted to do the interview and everything. And yeah, and it was great and it was fantastic. The feedback was just, oh, it was, it was amazing. It was really good. It was so positive. It really was. It was uh, It was the best thing I've ever done. That's so great to hear. But just here, you know, and even now, because of, like, the storyline and stuff, because my character's, uh, you know, gay and yep. everything, 
just the tweets and uh, letters that I get from girls saying, oh gosh, just having you not only in the show, but in real life, uh, that you've helped me come out because I've I've shown my mum and dad and gone, look, she's leading, you know, a normal life, you know, mm-hmm. whatever normal is, do you know what I mean? Um, and it's, cause I think that part of when I told my, when my mum knew, when my mum found out, I think my mum was a bit like, she obviously accepted it and loved me to pieces, but I think it was the grandchildren thing with my mum. And it was like, oh, well, does that mean you're not gonna have children? Like, well, I don't know yet, mum, I've literally just come out to you, so I've got no idea, you know. But yeah, it is nice to receive all those all those letters and uh, like I say, messages, and knowing that you've helped so many people, because that's yeah. my intention, otherwise there'd have been no point in me coming out. Because when I was, if, if I'd have had somebody, maybe when I was 18, 19, that, like we didn't there wasn't really there was like maybe Ellen and but it wasn't out there there was I mean there wasn't social media back then for a start maybe that's a good thing I don't know but um there wasn't anyone to look up to because yeah it's not been a bed of roses since um our little Ted's has come along because we've had we had a little social media break because we had a terrible terrible comment on one of his pictures telling yeah. me and Kate would burn in hell and um, it's absolutely disgusting. It's wrong, and you're just like, oh, really? In 2021, yeah. you know, do what you want, say what you want about me and Kate, or say what you want under a picture, but do not put it under a picture of our son because that no. I never ever respond or retweet or whatever. But I did with that one, and I put it out there onto Twitter. Yeah, and then the response was fantastic. And yeah, I saw it. I remember. I remember tweeting about it and stuff because it's important. That I mean, I'm, first of all, I'm really sorry you had to experience that. That must have been such a fucking horrible day. Yeah. But it's so, you know, when you expose, like, I think it's sometimes because those things happen. Sometimes exposing them and letting like our straight mates or people that watch you that like you and, and like your sexuality means nothing to them and as it should. But letting them know that oh, sometimes you have to. Yes, as a queer person who's out in the world, sometimes you have to deal with this. It's it's quite good to go. That's my life. That's that's what it's like with it outside of this sort of media bubble. Absolutely, that still goes on, and mm. that's why when you do get those odd people that will turn around and say, "Well, why do you still have gay pride? Why do you need that?" Oh. and you go, "Because of people like that." That's why we still need them to normalise it as much as we can. Yeah. There are still people out there like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, I've ne- I don't normally do it, but when it was when it was under a picture of Teddy, I was like, nah. No, you got to stand up for him. Yeah, you're his mum. You got to do it. You know what I mean, I know. Oh. Um, this is the most long I've ever been away from him. I'm like, Ooh. <laughs> I'll let you go in just a sec. Don't worry. Um, did the did the response from people sort of buoy you back up? after having that negativity oh, without a shadow of a doubt did you feel all right afterwards yeah you do but people say it's very easy for people to say oh but you had thousands of comments uh, positive ones it's that one negative one though that you cannot get out of your mind oh of course yeah i mean totally and you know whatever if you say if you're doing a theater job whatever you have that a million brilliant reviews when you have one one person one reviewer that slated your performance those other reviews mean nothing. Mean nothing. That, yeah. yeah. And it's that one that you keep dissecting and you're like, well, who are they? What have they done? And, you know, and it was the same with this. And mm. Kate and I just said, 
you know what? And not necessarily because of that comment, but we said, let's just ha- let's just enjoy it. Let's just take a little Twitter and Instagram mm. break. We're still on Facebook, so that's just family and friends, you know. Yeah. And like we've come back on it now, but we've uh, we've not put any pictures yet of Ted on, but we w- we will do, um, you know, at some point. Yeah, but when it feels right for you. When it feels right, yeah. I'm not getting pushed into it or whatever. No, so. totally, totally. Yeah. Well, thank I'm going to let you get back to Teddy. Let you go and have a squidge. But can I ask you one more question? It's a question I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show. And you can sort of think of it as a version of yourself, maybe when you were sort of, when you were touring around and you didn't, and you didn't allow yourself time to sort of come out or you didn't allow yourself time to have a girlfriend. Or maybe if you don't want to think of it as giving advice to yourself, maybe someone that's listening uh, right now is in a similar position to what you were in. If you could give them a little bit of advice or a little bit of like, a, I don't know, like a hug across the distance, um, what would you say to them? You know, it's the same that I, I do always say, and if it was to myself, this would go to other people as well. Everything will work out in the end, you know, and it does pain me to say that like our parents, you know, our families are have been fantastic and I know not everybody's, but if I was to tell my um, 18, 19, 20 year old self, give your mum and dad a bit more credit because they just love you for who you are and everything will be fine. Yeah, definitely. And if you're someone listening that maybe you don't think that your parents will react like that and you might not, you'll probably, you'll, you'll find another family within the community somewhere. You'll find, yeah, you'll find your people. There's plenty of about. Yeah, absolutely. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for talking to me. Susie, thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. Oh, that's, this has been so great. Let's do it again soon. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, next time I'm touring in Leeds, I'll, I'll get in touch and we'll sort of go for a drink or something. Without a shadow of a doubt, we'll get you over at Emmerdale. Oh my God, I would love that. I would genuinely love that. If you can, Done deal. If you can, if you can find a way for me to pull a pint in the wall pack, I'll be over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved that conversation so much. I really, really hope you did too. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, you always can. The email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. Also, if you're interested in coming along to my tour or the run at the Soho Theatre, you can get everything through my website, which is susieruffle.com. You can also sign up for a um, for my mail out, which happens, I would say, roughly twice a year, but I don't think it's happened once this year. I really ought to do that. Okay, then now it's just becoming me talking about my admin. How boring for all of you uh, if you're still listening that is um as ever thank you so much for listening and being part of this podcast community i hope you have a fantastic week so we've got two more episodes coming up in this series uh one next week and one the week after and then we're going to have a little break over summer where i will have time hopefully to reach out to lots of other people um, as you know it's just me that makes the podcast and my uh, my producer so it's not like I have a team of people that can email out and ask people or go to people's agents that's all stuff that I do um, so I um, I do the best I can and so um, hopefully over the summer break I'm going to have the opportunity to reach out to lots more people from across the queer community if you know anyone if you suggest anyone uh, please get in touch you know the email and um, I will continue trying to get as many any different kinds of voices on the podcast as possible okay that's enough rambling from me i hope you have a fantastic week and i will see you well i won't see you you'll hear me next week take care bye-bye